welcome back. It's time for Customers Who Click. This week, I welcome Adam Kitchen back to the podcast. Adam joined me for one of the first episodes uh, to talk about the essentials in marketing automation. Today, we're going to be talking about what's important in 2023, what really is the key to a good CRM program in 2023. Please remember to give the podcast a little rating and review. Really appreciate the feedback and it helps get the podcast in front of more people. Let's get Adam on now. Hi, Adam. Thanks for joining me again, actually, because uh, you were... Uh, uh, I probably should have, should have checked the episode number actually before this, but I, I reckon within my first ten episodes. Yeah. But for anyone who doesn't know you, do you want to give it give a quick introduction to yourself? Um, yeah, your, your background and, and what you're up to. Yeah, sure. But to be back, well, it's uh, been a while. Definitely, I actually listened to the first episode like a few minutes of it the other day, and it was crazy actually thinking how much has changed since then. But for those who don't know me, this short spiel is. Uh, worked in e-commerce for about 15 years now since I was 17, 18 and uh, been on the brand side for the majority of my career uh, like heads of marketing, social media manager for a supplement retailer and then also working with a big Amazon seller in China owned my own supplement store for a while that wasn't so successful and when that went out of business when I was 28, 29 I went into the agency game because I needed to make money and I loved email marketing. And since then, we really expanded our services to go beyond email for e-commerce and really amalgamate all those retention channels from email to SMS, uh, direct mail now, WhatsApp and push notifications. And whereas you have a lot of paid media companies who handle all the acquisition, we're just trying to the opposite to that to retention and work in harmony with them and own that pug's purchase journey sounds good so how long, wait how long have you been doing this now just on the four years four painful years mate <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know i know it's like it's been just over three for me so that was uh basically starting just before the pandemic hit which was uh yeah yeah best trouble I mean, it's tough. You, you've been in it a long time. There's highs and lows, ups and downs. And ultimately, you're only as successful as the businesses that you work with because you're just a cog in a system, albeit a valuable cog. But, um, you know, the more people that you work with, it's exciting but challenging. You deal with so many different types of businesses and it's not always smooth sailing. A lot of these businesses, especially in the last year, which we'll get into, have become quite distressed. And I've been quite vocal about this on social, especially LinkedIn, that you know you can't save a lot of these companies. Um, you're only as good, as I said, as the people that you work with. So it's been an interesting time, but I think you're going to see the cream rise to the top. And hopefully we'll be still around to recording a podcast episode in two years. Yeah. Um, sweet. So 2023 now, um, how do you, how'd you get customers clicking? Well, the same way you've always got them clicking, I think, as far as we're concerned, it's the same playbook, right? I'm not going to say anything new or innovative here. It's good segmentation, good quality content. But I think the main thing that stood out to me is that all this basic advice is not really enough anymore. There has to be a really compelling differentiator besides you know, the obvious product market fit. And I think this is where a lot of brands are struggling because the market is so commoditized. There's been proliferation in competition and, you know, the margins are just not there to get involved in a race to the bottom. And 
CAC don't need to talk about that. It's been done to death. But I think a lot of brands are really struggling with the question as to how do we actually provide value? Like what's the actual benefit to buying from us D2C as opposed to Amazon or retail or a marketplace? And that is the main thing that I think people need to hack in a lot of industries to get them to click and come back. And again, I think when it comes to what we do, um, we can have all the ideas in the world, but you're only as good as what you work with. And we need brands with good communities, great contents, engaging stuff going on in social. And I don't see a lot of people really mastering that. I think a lot of people are just naive and living in the past and thinking these problems are going to go away. But I think we need to evolve and that's to be all and end all of it. Yeah. Um, you made an interesting point though about um, why why should people buy from you and not from Amazon? Now, obviously, if your products are on Amazon, then arguably it doesn't matter. I suppose you prefer they bought it from your store because you don't pay the commissions and stuff, but it's still a customer. But something that actually came up today on, um, it was a point about how do you stand out, right? And he made the point about, um, I think, like a, a journal or something. Like, you know, ha- how how do you stand out? It's you know, it's it's difficult. There's thousands of other brands out there, and it's just an interesting example used. So I mentioned the fact that uh, Mind Journal has done a fantastic job of standing out because they are the journal for men. That is their key selling point, and and I think in that space that works really well. So I think even even when so many products are commoditized, and and realistically, when you think about it pretty much everything out there has got dozens if not hundreds of competing products because you've got the competitors in your same space as well as your kind of alternative competitors yeah so really it's trying to figure out (coughs) trying to figure out what i suppose it's what is it that's so good about your product that no one else is talking about Yeah, I think that's where you come in as well. It's an important part of research. And I think this is an interesting discussion and also potentially a catch-22 because you almost need to anchor your positioning to some kind of niche differentiation to gain traction in the marketplace. But conversely, that could potentially hold you back from the total addressable market as you start to try and expand because you might be seeing as not relevant to a mass audience. So I've been struggling with this theory, like of what's the way to go. And I think potentially if I was to start another brand again, I would try and niche the positioning and have that real strong, like cult-like following. And then assuming that you, it's like the maximum addressable markets, then try and go broader. That would maybe make sense. But then you could say, well, you're losing your identity of what you made. What made you yeah. so so taking the example of mind journal right it's called mind journal not man journal or anything like that um but they've positioned it as the journal for men there's no reason why at some point they couldn't just release a new journal for women mm-hmm. that they say is it's you know they've done their research they've specifically created this you know slightly different product with women in mind and that then that's it they've got their their full market because I mean, uh, obviously, I haven't done the research into it, but I, I can't think of any other brands that are the journal for women. 
just like I can't really think of any that spe- specifically try and market themselves as the journal for men. So if they've built themselves up as a, a really reputable company for the journal for men, they've got this massive audience who can say to people they know, oh, by the way, I love this journal, and they now do one that's specific for women. Yeah, so, so obviously mean, they've, yeah. they've got to reach that point. Yeah, I think it's, it's a fascinating conversation because as i said i think you need to penetrate marketplaces and find your positioning but at the same time not anchor yourself to something so small that over time you can't grow and i know in how brands grow by byron sharp i don't know if you've read this book but i'm a massive fan of his research he's a marketing scientist he talks about the concept of category and category entry points cps so for example when you think of Coca-Cola, you don't just think of busy drink, but you associate it with things like going to the cinema or, you know, hot summer's day. And that's the real battle for the mind of the consumer to have your brand as the go-to the default. Or Google. Right. Yeah. When when you have those moments. And I think that's another potentially interesting angle that not a lot of people explore, but again, through good research customer interviews, et cetera, that you can find a lot of creative angles to sell your products. Yeah. So I guess tying this back to email and, and CRM a little bit, um, how do you go about that research? Like what do you, what actions do you take? And you know, have you got any examples of where you've used that research to develop strategies? Yeah, this is something we've tried to hone in on a lot the last couple of years, I think, as we evolved like our methodology and went beyond just revenue generation but i think the highest leverage points to start are like new customers coming to the website who don't convert like you want to find out what the objections are via emails and sms and you know you can collect them as open-ended responses sometimes we deploy surveys like typeform or just ask someone to respond to an email hey you know plain text email from the founder and you just tell me, like, what stuff do you buy in today? Like, that's a very simple one, right? You do through Hotjar as well. Um, you can tie in things. For, uh, you can do coded blocks in emails as well. So if you do have a um, list of common reasons, then I think I've worked with you on another brand where you can just basically ask them to click the block, and then you can create this, like, messaging hierarchy to overcome those objections on the website. I think that's potentially very powerful and great to do because you get a quick boost to deliverability as well when people click it. So if customers get abandoned, at least you're doing well in that regard. Yeah, I, I think just a really important point there for me is you need to know what those options are. Like you you really do need to actually know what they are. Uh, whereas so many brands, I see them making assumptions yeah, and then putting those assumed options in front of people, and then excuse the results, because I always see price in there, and yeah. price is probably the always the number one result. Yeah, right. Because as soon as people see it, you know, they don't think about it for a sec. They see price and they click price. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was too expensive, and huge amount of the time, it's not it was too expensive. It was they didn't see the value in it. Exactly. Yeah, it's it, you have to go deeper than price. It's like, well, okay, what does price mean? When, as you said, it's the value, and what does the value mean? Well, and then you dig deeper into these, and I think the mom test, right, is is a book that 
gives you a framework on how to ask these like quizzical questions. But to go back to your question, I think yes, abandoned calls, welcome flow, sign up forms, and also post purchase as well. I see a huge leverage point for a lot of brands on first to second purchase, and they don't know why people don't come back, especially if it's like consumer package goods, for example. You really need to find out why people aren't coming back again because if you can't, you know, increase the repurchase rates or lifetime value within that first 30, 60, 90 days, then you're never going to be able to scale profitably. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, if you can get a first purchase profitably, it's still, we're talking a tiny amount of, of money. You need to get them to come back and make that second purchase and, obviously cost you a lot less um but yeah i guess it also just causes problems everywhere right if if you've got people who are making that first purchase and then not coming back again you've either got a product issue or i suppose you've got a messaging issue which is kind of a product issue as well really it's it's your messaging is not reflected by the product and then, yeah yeah that might be impacting conversion as well yeah, this, this, again, I think, you know, you have to approach each industry differently, right? Like you add pillows, like we've worked with sofas where you're not going to get that second purchase, highly unlikely within 30 days. So your objectives need to change. But especially if you're in fast moving consumer goods, then it's quite convincing at this point that most of the data says that if you don't get people to repurchase again relatively soon, that opportunity gone. So huge amounts of optimization needs to go into the research on that period when you know people generally buy again and building in habits formation as well i think is something that's underutilized and overlooked like why how can i get people to actually use the products what are the behavioral cues that will get them to see value and extract it from what they've just purchased and We've tried to double down on that and I'm going to try and get some case studies on data of these type of schemes that we've set up for a few brands recently because I think that's something that's interesting and through all research we've seen that a lot of customers buy things and the reason they don't buy again is actually because they haven't even used the product. So that's yeah. interesting to see. Yeah, I know. I've, I've definitely had a... I, I use this example when it comes to discounting. Right when when brands overly discount or overly incentivize the purchase, and you know I, I've bought products that have sat on a shelf for probably about a month before I've finally gone to it because I've only spent like ten quid on it, right? Because of the incentives, and so at the time I thought, oh, this is a great idea, and in the twenty-four to forty-eight hours it took to get the box to me, I've basically forgotten about it. I don't really care anymore and and so it, it sits there right and even and then you know even if i open it and like it the fact that it's taken me so long i think massively lowers my my chance of, of repurchasing yeah yeah it it's a very real challenge that i don't think enough people pay attention to and again i've just seen at this point like masses and masses of survey responses and open-ended feedback to emails that a lot of customers just don't use the products or they're not able to extract value out of it quickly enough and even things like jewelry that sometimes they don't even wear it immediately which is shocking really to 
to think that because that's why people buy it. So trying to, yeah. You would have thought with a product like that, they'd try it immediately. Like, yeah. That's the sort of thing that as soon as it comes through the, the mailbox or, or gets dropped off, you should be excited about that, right? A piece of jewelry, that should be exciting. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's funny, actually, I bought uh, one of these new cordless uh, vacuum, you know, the Dyson ones, which is just a machine, by the way. How is that Dyson? Oh, it's, it. I mean, I've always got cheap hoovers and vacuums, and I got really pissed off with my last one because it was just so bad. I was like, right, you know what? I'm just going to take the plunge here and buy the Dyson for 500 quid. But, I mean, the, I remember the unboxing, they had, like, very specific quick instructions of how to like see value in the tool and they have this thing now on the uh by the button where you press it where you see the particulate matter like the types that it's hoovering up from the ground and it's like wow you know you can see your progress when you're vacuuming so not only is it an incredible vacuum because it you know, i hope you can't see these carpets but they're a lot cleaner than they were before but what I loved about it was I seen the progress, you know, like, wow, like, look how they had this, this manual of showing you the particulate matter and these four balls that go up every time you move it. So it's super interesting to me. And something like that, obviously, it's just the beginning of habit formation, but it's one of my favorite activities to do with in the house is vacuum. Yeah, I can, I can get, it's almost, I guess, almost like gamifying it really, isn't it? Yeah. You're, you're kind of... You know, I mean, it's slightly different, but I have, to, I have to comb my dog basically every day. He's a golden retriever, sheds so much hair. So we've got this tool at uh, this this comb called a Ferminator, which is like the best ever name for a dog comb. Um, it's actually brilliant, but I kind of noticed, like, I enjoy it when I take loads of fur off him. Like, I mean, it's almost like a game between us as well, right? So he gets he gets two treats while he while he gets combed in order to keep him still. So he has the first one, has the second one. And so it's almost like a game for me to see how much fur I can get off him before he finishes these two treats. And sometimes not a lot, lot comes off him. And then other days, you know, particularly if I get a spot that he's normally a bit awkward with, I can take loads off him. And it like, it just feels great. And I'm seeing that progress. And then he feels like a lot softer, a lot smoother. You feel that progress. And because that tool is working so well, I've I've told loads of people about it. I always recommend it to people. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. It's one thing to have a great product, but it's another thing for people to actually use it. It sounds ridiculous. And enjoy using it, right? And enjoy using it. And I think people need to think outside the box, and that goes back to you know your first question, like about uh, value and how to get people clicking. I think. That type of virality needs to be built into the product's experience almost. And the brands that have hacked this have uh, are in a much stronger position in terms of where's mouth referrals and like I said, that the habits formation. Snug sofa was another one when I purchased my sofa and I mean the way they packaged the product and the way I unboxed it. And all the notes and how much force they put into that post purchase experience was just incredible. And I mean, here I am, I've had the sofa two two and a half years, and I'm still talking about the experience. So it just shows the power of it. There are just little things just make a difference. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I've mentioned it to you before. The the little wooden spoon I got from Gusto, mm-hmm. right? It just came on. I don't know my third box or something like that. 
And it's just that little extra thing that makes you go. When I, when you're still for for, for a, ser- a service or a product like like Gusto, you're still in that early discovery phase with them. You're still kind of thinking, do I actually like this service? Do I want to keep keep up with it? And you get a little thing like that, which then the wooden spoon itself doesn't really enhance the cooking experience, but you know it's, it's a relevant gift, little uh, yeah. surprise. Yes, yeah, there's it's, it's enough. One. It's it's a. I mean, we could speak about this subject for hours, but yeah, there's another one from. Um, I just recently worked with Faye, who are a plant company in in Switzerland, uh, selling Germany as well, and they do handwritten notes in every single portal that goes out, which is incredible to think like they've done that since they've been operationally active and they look at the Shopify data and like joke around with the customer based on the order history and do back and forth with them. And, <clears throat> you know, when I spoke to Sven, the owner, he said it takes like two minutes to do, but for us, it's worthwhile and it's reflected, you know, in their, their retention data that they put that much effort into it. Another thing that they have is a plant doctor as well. So even customers who haven't purchased from them can speak on the site and contact this plant doctor and they will give you advice on like how to resuscitate these plants and just that type of thoughtfulness. Yeah, builds that word of mouth into the product experience and it's often like not a huge investment to do it. And I would argue, you know, for a lot of industries, it's a prerequisite these days to staying in business because again, what's the benefit to buying from you from any other channel where it's more convenient and arguably cheaper? Yeah, you, you need to be that brand that people want to go to. Like they, they trust you. They know that you're going to fix that problem. And it can be just something like a little note that does it. Um, yeah, I've, I've done that before, the handwritten notes. It was fantastic. Right. Um, I've probably mentioned this on the podcast before. I don't, don't know if we've talked about it specifically, but we sent them out to people um, who were in their 30 day trial of a, of a digital, digital product and basically no impact at all. We sent it out to people who had made their first purchase, first monthly payment. Um, and that had a huge impact on their engagement with the app. It was, it was yeah. great. Um, and so stuff like that makes a massive difference. Um, I was listening to, um, Dyer of the CEO the other day I started listening to that's really good and he, it was the the one where he's talking about Ben Francis from Jim, Gymshark and they were saying that um, it was a Black Friday when the Gymshark website went down and he hand wrote himself thousands of, of little notes to people just apologising for the mistake it's that sort of thing just especially, especially if you are a smaller business can make a massive difference yeah yeah, it's again, we could go into this topic for hours because I think it's so important. And SaaS, have, you mentioned like the software, in my opinion, have done this a lot better than e commerce. And I understand like this activation phase and people will churn unless they get value from it. Um, so I, I, I would recommend like trying to envision that journey in the same way obviously there is differences but there's parallels as well in like how it needs to be approached i i would argue sas have been doing it a lot longer i still don't think there are many brands who do it well well that's the key right doing it well and we'll say like there is but they understand it needs to be done 
there are a lot of like every brand basically sends you a welcome series. Every every SaaS tool sends you yeah. a welcome series. Here are our tips this 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 week or in this issue. Here's our tips the next day. Yeah, I I think when it comes to segmentation and stuff like that, it's possibly worse with SaaS. Like they there is no, you know, I I don't think I've ever experienced. Um, you know, a different set of communications because I have started using an app or I have taken certain actions versus not doing it. Yeah. I mean, again, look, it, it shows because it's so rinse and repeat and, and templated across both industries that all you have to do is something different and you can stand out. Yeah. Yeah. And that can be as simple as like plain text. Yeah. Um, always, <laughs> always annoys me a bit when brands say, I would, we don't want to do plain text. It's off-brand. Or just to be honest, any time I get an off-brand thing, it's it's annoying. Yeah. I'm like, well, we're trying to do something different here. We're trying to we're trying to get. Uh, so yeah, in CRO, I keep telling people what we're trying to do is get a reaction from people, right? Almost whether it's positive or negative. Um, obviously, we want positive mainly, but even if if we get a strong negative response from people, it still tells us a lot. Yeah, and and we can take some direction from there, but you you can't get that strong reaction from people if you basically do what everyone else does. Exactly. Uh, you know, it's it's not even really about taking risks. Well, as you as you said, it's a, it's a learning opportunity as well, and I I tell this to all strategists all the time. It's like just be different, do different things, and if it doesn't work, at least you've learned from it and you can iterate. But the chances are. You, know, you throw enough thoughts at the board, then one of them will stick, and then it creates huge amount of leverage from that and cut through the noise. So, yeah, it's it's such a simplistic concept, but not a lot of people do it because they're afraid or best practices. I don't know. Yeah. I well, so something I've come across with brands is lack of resource as well. I was yeah. Particularly with with I guess smaller brands, brands under maybe under about twenty million, maybe even more like fifty million. A lot of them still don't have a dedicated email person, mm-hmm. or they literally have one one person who is responsible for email, um, and they are the designer, the developer, the copywriter, um, and strategist for that. And and obviously that's it's it's a s- struggle. Um, struggle when there's so much to do right you've got so many sequences to to try and optimize you've got to get all your your daily weekly campaigns out um yeah it's, it's just too big a job for one person definitely it makes me laugh actually when people think of email i mean obviously there you know look there is plain text based things that you can send but when i look at our team i couldn't manage one of the accounts by myself or i could but it'd be a pretty shitty job you know i couldn't do it properly you need a strategist, you need a copywriter, you need a designer for most brands. Um, you need like an engineer to build email if the strategy because it's a different skill from the strategist. And then you know you need someone theoretically to QA it if you want to pay attention to the quality. So yeah, yeah, we can like a jack of all trades. Like I can do all those things, um, probably to fifty percent level, but. You, you, to get the best results, obviously, you need specialism, and it's the same as CRO as well. As you know, like it's a multifaceted skill, 
and requires different types of knowledge and experience to bring it to the table and make it the maximum success. Absolutely. And, and just to be clear for, for listeners, I suppose we're not talking about using the drag and drop editor, which it's still probably be a struggle to run a, an account yourself, but at least you don't have to be an expert designer developer for that. Whereas, you know, I've, I've worked with you guys, you know, it's, it's a, there's a, there's a, a process to it. There's the design, you get the designs, you look over the designs, you make some tweaks, you approve them. It goes to someone to then build that design yeah. in an email, right? This would take, you know, I mean, I don't know how long it takes them to do it, but you know, one person would, I guess, take a whole week just to produce one email if they're yeah. doing it that way. I don't know, maybe a bit quicker. Um, but yeah, same, same with CRO. Um, you can use a drag and drop editor in certain tools, but they're not great. Um, it's, you're, you're taking risks <laughs> with it. Um, that you, you've got a high chance of stuff just popping out of place um, because you've accidentally moved some code that, that really shouldn't be moved. Exactly. You yeah. need the team. What's going to be key in 2023? Or what's, what's going to be the big thing that you see a lot of brands doing or something new? I think, I think we've just discussed it, to be honest. I think the most important thing will be knowing, you know, those unit economics on the <clears throat> margins, obviously, but around that 30, 60, 90 day lifetime value excuse me, slash payback period and optimizing around it, depending on the industry that you're in. I think a lot of people are much more in tune with their numbers, uh, what the cohorts are saying, and they need to make it central to all the planning in the business, everything from inventory, forecasting, how they're running ads, like it's all really focused on that at the moment. And for us, I think, you know, a lot of our work needs to be done on optimizing that post-purchase experience and if there is bottlenecks to first to second order like what are they how can we support support the brands to help them and make better decisions with the acquisition so i see that being like the main battlegrounds and leverage points because once the traffic comes to the website a large portion of our job is just nudging people over the edge but the real challenge and the battle in the hearts of minds consumers is you know, ensuring product adoption and that's where we need to support most yeah i think it's um yeah like like we talked about it's it's something brands don't don't focus on that much um you get you tend to get a lot of you've probably been using the product or you've been using the product for a while now give us a review or or you know it's something but the assumption is you have been using the product Mm-hmm. And actually, there's there's very little, almost like there is very little. Have you used the product yet? What do you think? You know, do you? It's something I've 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 done before with clients years ago, and in, when I was in house, was just an email a few days after we'd uh, expected it to be delivered, because um, actually before a lot of those tracking <laughs> platform tools came out, um, just a, a quick email saying, you know, have you received it? Is everything as you expected? Have you got any questions? Just get in touch. Um, it's just yeah. another way, of, great way of getting feedback, really. Yeah, obviously you've got Wonderment and 
you know, it's a bit of a shameless plug, but that is a phenomenal tool. And I've seen, you know, all the clients that we've implemented before have really strong results and it's just basic, right? Like make sure the customer has a good experience, but it's interesting that just by virtue of them clicking, so you're asking about how to get customers clicking, you know, tracking pages is, is a great one, providing timely updates on their orders. People just go and make another a purchase because you send traffic back to the websites. They're already familiar with you. Chances are, you know, that they'll go and purchase again. So I think it's just, sorry, not the chances are that they'll go and purchase again, but when people go to your websites, they just browse because they're already, you know, on the shop, in the shop. So that's like a, a big leverage point. I think, again, not a lot of people invest enough time into and has a lot of area for optimization. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's um, yeah. I've been looking at a few tools for both pre-purchase and post-purchase. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them, a lot of them do the you know place your order by X time to receive it uh, on this date, um, and then obviously there's that the order basically the order confirmation page, which I mean I haven't got time to go into it right now, but massive opportunity and vast majority of brands just go cool, cheers, that's it. Yeah, exactly. Just be different. Yeah. Um, awesome. So just before we finish, uh, anyone in the e-commerce or marketing world that you want to go for lunch with? Good question. I have to say, um, my good friends, Christian Hop, every time we sit down, you know, he's a genius. I know he's quiet and he's very direct when he does speak but i learn a massive amount from him he's so data driven and just the way he breaks down the customer journey and his approach to using analytics and just removing all type of bias and just telling it to you how it is is eye-opening for me and it's really evolved myself as a marketer and you know he's when he's spoken to our team as well he's helped them so i always enjoy um working and listening to chris who is running his own uh, paid agency now on acquisition. So he would be my choice to have lunch with. Yeah, I'm uh, very familiar with him. I haven't actually spoken to I don't think I've spoken to him yet. Um, are, are, they, are they generally paid or is it YouTube specific? He's doing YouTube specific at the moment, but I believe he's venturing out into other acquisition channels. So yeah, he's a great person to speak to for that. Yeah, awesome. Uh, just finally, have you got a, a couple of tools that you recommend? Um, I know obviously you're, you're big on Clavio, but any, I guess, any more niche tools that you guys use? Yeah, I don't know if they're niche tools, but I love Miro for customer journey mapping. I think it's, I've worked with you before and you've probably seen it. I think, you know, automation and things like this can be very clunky and sophisticated and difficult to understand unless you're able to visualize it. So I think anything that is process driven that you can draw in rather than write about, that is like a phenomenal tool to help people digest information. And it's also very collaborative as well. Like we use it extensively in our agency. And the second one is Lifetimely for uh, Shopify analytics. And again, just fantastic low cost tool super easy to set up seamless to integrate into shopify and just the amount of data it gives you on cohorts and lifetime value and specific products that drive lifetime value and repurchase rates buying behavior like it's 
shocking how much value is in that tool for the price of it. So that's became like a great um, weapon in our hostel when it comes to strategy with clients. All right, awesome. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll have, to have a look at that. Uh, you just reminded me actually of, um, so I, I used to use Intercom as a CRM tool uh, back at that, that digital product I mentioned. Um, in terms of visualization, so at least in Clavio, you know, when you look at your, your workflows, you've got email, link to email, with your, you know, you can do your conditional splits. You've, you've kind of got that diagram there. With uh, Intercom, it might have changed since then. I mean, we're talking sort of seven years ago, something like that. You literally just had a list of your emails, your automations. You couldn't, they weren't grouped in any yep. way. Literally one big list. And all you, all you had to do, all you could do was um, basically set the conditions for one email, duplicate that email, and then set the like change the delay on it. So and, and that's pretty much all you could do with automation. So you'd say when someone does this, send this email. The follow up email, yeah, completely unconnected to that previous email, apart from the fact that it had almost identical conditions. So you have this huge list there, and you know eventually I think we had a spreadsheet somewhere where we we labeled you know welcome flow win back flow that sort of thing and then listed out what the names of those of those emails were so you could then just search for them oh because I, th- I think all the campaigns were in there as well so you literally had a list of every email that had or would be sent sounds like a nightmare as a mess <laughs> um but cool thanks so much for joining me again um if people want to reach out to you what's the best way of doing that I am trying to get more active on Twitter, so you can search me there. I think it's Adam K underscore MM. But if not, follow me on LinkedIn. I'm sure most people see me there. Just type in Adam Kitchen. I have the little magnet and email next to my name and always enjoy learning from others as well. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Adam. Yes, mate. How can you provide value to your customers and your audience? This is the big thing right now. It's what marketers really need to work on and nail to have success. Good content, good community, social, uh, obviously a good products. These are all really important things that are going to boost your email success. But very few brands actually really get this right. Going niche really helps here. Um, does give you a lot of focus and direction, which is going to help you craft better messaging uh, and market more effectively to your audience. If you'd like to hear more from Adam, you can find him on LinkedIn or Twitter. Any other podcast questions, feedback or guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or DM me on LinkedIn. Next up, I've got Ritus Loris, and we're going to be talking about email again. But this time, we'll be exploring how you can nurture customers to get the important second and third purchases. But until then, keep those customers clicking.